your Bible with you, Mark chapter number 8. And we're going to look at a few verses here, a couple of other places as well this morning. I was, uh, you know, I, I, my hobby or my, my desire, my, what I do or like the most in my Bible study is uh, preaching and teaching about prophecy. I hadn't done a lot of that since I've been here uh, with y'all. We teach the class on Monday nights, the prophecy class at the School of the Bible. And uh, so I, I love that type of stuff. And I'm always interested in what's going on and how the Word of God speaks to it. And um, we, we talked a few weeks ago, I think it was, we looked at uh, Daniel uh, in his uh, chapter 3 of the book of Daniel, and we talked a little bit about things that are going on uh, that will take place during the tribulation, but a precursor to that in Daniel chapter 3 about the manipulation of people and, and how they're controlled and all. Uh, and I don't know if you remember that, if you were here for that. It's been a few weeks back. Uh, we talked about that from Daniel chapter 3. And it's, uh, it's prevalent in society in just about everything that we're involved in. Things are done in such a way to grab your attention and it's like uh, hypnosis or, or being mesmerized or, you know, you, you just kind of get in a... It grabs your attention, if you will, and it's not always in a good way what they want you to learn while they got your attention, if you understand what I'm saying. And I noticed uh, last night, and people ask me all the time, you know, what's your favorite team? And I don't really have a favorite team. I'm, uh, I'm about to the place where I don't care nothing about football anymore. They've ruined it. It's no fun anymore. And, uh, but I was watching the ball game last night and so you Alabama people don't get mad at me but I was watching that ball game and those announcers just kept talking about those new lights those new lights those new lights and they, every time they'd say that they'd say something like a lounge a bar a party because they'd flash them lights and make all the different colors and make them run and, you know, streams and flash and do. And then that elephant in the background making all that racket. And, you know, it was a mesmerizing thing. The lights and the sound control your emotion and your feeling and, and your thought process. And there's, you know, 100,000 people sitting there watching a ball game and all that noise and all them lights and all that stuff. And I just kept thinking, how can people be so dumb and so ignorant that this is how it's going to be during the tribulation period? This is how it's going to be when the Antichrist rules. The way they control people and the way they do things and the way we get so lathered up and we get so caught up and we get so excited in things and in stuff that have zero bearing upon eternity. Zero. I don't know how many NCAA teams there are, hundred and something teams I guess maybe that play every Saturday. And we worship at the pigskin every Saturday. Good Christian people, good godly Christian people, not just carnal Christians, but good godly Christian people worship the pigskin every Saturday. And it has zero, I mean zero as an old marine preacher friend of mine used to say, zero with the rim knocked off. That means none. It has no bearing on eternity. Zero. And we wonder, you, you know, you that sit in the pews get, get upset sometimes and aggravated at thus 
that stand on the platform. Because it's like we're pushing or prodding or, or you know, condemning because folks won't come to church. Folks won't support the church. They won't give their tithe. They won't give an offering. They won't come pack boxes. They won't. And it's like we're the bad guys because we preach about being involved and being sold out. But here's the thing. We see how many people are, are ain't crazy over a football team. And we can't get them excited about Jesus. And he's the one that died on the cross for our sins. He's the one that gives us eternity. He's the one that this book says is what we just sang about, worthy to be praised. I'm going to tell you, they wasn't one of them on either roster in any football game that was played from sunup to sundown yesterday worthy of the praise that they got all day yesterday. Not a one of them worthy of that praise. And we serve a risen Savior. We serve a living Savior. We serve a God that loved us enough to let his son come and die for us. Not just die, but, but, but be beaten and spat upon and humiliated and crucified naked before the whole world. Because he loves us that much. And sometimes it's hard for us to be sold out to him. and To give him the praise that he's worthy of. And to call upon him. He's due some praise. He's worthy of praise. He's worthy of everything and most of what we don't give, he's still worthy of that too. And I was thinking last night about all the things that go on in the sports and entertainment world. And it's not Alabama not against Alabama, not against Tennessee. It used to be folks said the only thing that Alabama fan and Auburn fan could agree on is they both hated Tennessee. If you're a Tennessee fan, I'm sorry. Grace and mercy still in the Bible. You can be forgiven. But I was looking at all that last night, and I got to thinking, you know, that's, that's what drives the world. Sports entertainment is what drives the world that we live in. There's a lot of other things that people are involved in, you know, that, that, that they like. And I'm telling you, that's the number one money-making thing is sports entertainment. Whatever avenue you can, whatever niche you can get to, to market into sports entertainment, you can make a gold mine off of it. Because people will they'll buy whatever it is. I mean, they'll pay $10 for a piece of styrofoam that's got their team stamped on it to keep a drink in and it won't even keep it cold. But they want one. You know? I was talking to a friend of mine. Of course, he spoke to a group of young people last week and he mentioned it, but me and him have talked about it often. And it's, you know, been a point of conviction in his life that uh, he looks in his closet and he has more, you know, sports shirts and T-shirts for his favorite team than he does church clothes. Spends more money on clothes for his favorite team than he does on church clothes. And, you know, the Lord spoke to him about that. He's... He was telling those young people, we'll, we'll do anything. We'll sell out for about anything to something that we love. Last week we talked about unconditional surrender. I don't have a title this morning, but I want you to look here with me and uh, I'm going to do my best just to give you the text this morning and uh, not wander around too much. Mark chapter... Number eight, look with me if you will. Um, well, let me just give you back up to verse number 27 
and Jesus is here with his disciples and it tells us they're going into Caesarea Philippi and he asked them on the journey, he said, whom do men say that I am? Hey guys, what does the world think about me? Who does the world say that I am? Of course, you know, they give their an answer. Some say John the Baptist, some say Elias, you know. Uh, and then verse 29, Jesus says, but whom say ye that I am? Who, who do you guys think I am? What, what, what am I to y'all? Of course, Peter, he's kind of the chairman of the deacons. You know, he's the one that gets to always answer. And he said, thou art the Christ. He charged them that they should tell no man of him. And he began to teach them, verse 31, and he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. What's he doing? He's basically, Jesus is giving them the gospel here. He's teaching them what's going to happen. This is what's going to This is God's plan, fellas. And he, you're getting the scoop. Breaking news. Here it is. This is what's going to happen. And he tells them what's about to take place. Now, wouldn't we all want to know, wouldn't we want God just to take a pen and a paper and write our name at the top so we would know this is just for me. This is God. This is what God has for me. And then write it down. Well, that's what Jesus had just done. Here's what God wants, fellas. Here's what's going to happen. And then here's Peter again. And uh, Peter says uh, in verse 32, And he spake that saying openly, and Peter took him and began to rebuke him. That's pretty dangerous territory, isn't it? I mean, you know, who's going to tell the boss what to do? Now, it's different at the house. Your wife can tell you what to do, husband. That's different. But we don't disrespect the boss, do we? We don't disrespect those that are in authority over us, do we? It's, it's, well, we do in this generation. But when I was growing up, we, you didn't do that. You didn't question authority. You didn't disrespect authority. You may not agree with authority, but you did not disrespect it. And if you questioned it, you did it with respect. That's biblical. Daniel questioned authority, didn't he? Daniel questioned, he said, well, let's make a deal. If you want us to be the men you want us to be, then don't make us go against our God. Let us serve our Lord and we'll just eat this salad and water and see if we're not better than your guys after 10 days. He negotiated he had respect for authority even though he questioned authority. You see, there's right ways to do things. A lot of times we take the wrong approach. That's why we don't get the result we want. Here Peter just rebukes the Lord and says, well, that's not going to happen. And in another account of that, that's what he says. Be it not so, Lord. He began to rebuke him. But then Jesus, look in verse 33, but when he had turned about and looked on his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. He had just questioned him, Who do men say that I am? Now who do you that I've chosen to follow me, who do you say that I am? Different ideas, different opinions about things, and Jesus is bringing all those things out into their mind and into the discussion. Then Jesus gives them God's plan. Here's what God has laid out. This is the plan. And Peter said, well, we don't want that plan. That's not what's going to happen. And what did Jesus do? He called him the devil. Will you devil? You're going to take God's plan or you'll be messed up. And that's the way life is for all of us. God's got a plan and it's in this book. God's got an answer for every problem and it's in this book. God's got reasons that things are like they are in your life and in my life and the answer to that or the reason for that is found in this book. Everything that we need. Peter wrote this, he said, Everything that pertaineth unto life and godliness, God's given us right here in this book. Everything. We, 
the, the largest section in the Christian bookstore and most of your major uh, big box bookstores today, the largest section in the religion section is the self-help section. And I'm going to tell you something. The only help you need is in this book. Somebody else can't tell you what you need. Only God can tell you what you need. You don't need another self-help program. You don't need another self-help idea. Self is the problem. My problem is myself. It's not any of y'all. It's not my wife. It's not my children. It's me. And if I'm going to fix me, I'm going to find the answer right here in this book. Peter just needed to be more in tune with the Lord and what the Lord had in mind and what his plan was instead of what he thought and what he wanted to do and what he wanted to accomplish. And when the Lord spoke back to him, he said, Thou savorest not. You don't have a taste, Peter, for the things of God. You've got a taste for the things of man. Now, I don't have to go way out in, in trying to explain that to you, do I? I mean, we know what it's like to have a taste for something, don't we? We're not talking about fried chicken and green beans. Did y'all eat breakfast today? Some of your tummies is growling already. We're talking about a, a desire that's almost uncontrollable. An instinct. That's what that savor, an instinct toward. A desire. They tell a story about the wolves in northern Alaska. They're very deadly. And they're hard to catch. They're hard to trap. Hard to shoot. And they create problems. They kill livestock. They kill people. And they run in big packs. The Eskimos figured out how to beat the wolves. The Eskimos would kill a baby seal or something and drain all that blood out of that seal. And then they would take a blade, a, like a knife blade, and Get it razor sharp on both sides. And they'd take that blade and dip it in that blood and let it freeze. Then they'd dip it again and let it freeze and dip it again till they had basically what would be a blood popsicle. And they'd take that blood popsicle and turn it upside down and stick it in the ground. And it wouldn't be long those wolves would catch the scent of that seal blood on that blade. And they would come by the packs. And they'd all scurry around and get a lick and get a lick. And they'd all be licking till there was nothing left but the blade. But they savored. Their instinct brought them to it and they had a savor. They had a taste for that blood. And they licked and licked and licked and licked till their tongues were just shredded. And then they would leave and go off and bleed to death and die. Why? Because they had a taste for that blood. And they could not live without that blood. They had to have it. And Peter here, the Lord tells Peter, Peter, you savor not the things of God, but the things of men. And sometimes our desire is so great for the things of this world that we forget about the things of God. And there's nothing wrong with the things that God's given us to enjoy in the world. There's nothing wrong with going to the beach in the summer or the winter. When it's cold, go down there where it's warm. There's nothing wrong with going to the mountains. Nothing wrong with going to the lake. Nothing wrong with playing God. There's nothing wrong with going shopping. There's nothing wrong with entertainment. As long as it's kept in its place. As long as it does not control us or take us over. As long as we don't begin to savor that activity or that thing or whatever it is more than we savor or have a taste for the things of God. I mean, I, 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 I'm dumb sometimes. Really, I am. I'm simple and I'm dumb. 
But I still ain't figured out why people think that when that time rolls around the 1st of February, that thing called the Super Bowl, that it's okay to lay out of church on Sunday night and to stay home and watch a football game. I, I, I mean, I'm just dumb. I don't get that. When you could go meet with God's people and, and maybe have the chance that God might show up among his people and do something wonderful in your life, and you'd rather sit at the house and watch a football game? Man, I don't get that. But sometimes we savor the things of man more than we savor the things of God. That's the foundation for the next few verses here that I want to speak to you from. Y'all thought that was the message. That's just the introduction. He told him to get behind him. He said, And when he had called the people unto him, <clears throat> that was just the disciples. When he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake in the gospels, the same shall save it. Now I want you to notice something in this verse because we're not going to come back to it. But I want to point this out to you. He said but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake. And a lot of people stop right there in their thought process about the things of God. Follow the Lord. Do it for the Lord's sake. But everything, everything is about the gospel. Everything is about the gospel. He said, not only for my sake, he said, and the gospel's. What is that? The good news of him. What would be his sake? What would be to give up everything for his sake? For us to spread the good news that he loves people. That he came to die for sinners. That he doesn't want anybody to have to die and go to hell. That he wants everybody to come to that place of repentance in their life and have the free gift of salvation. That's what he would have. That's the gospel. We, we should spend our life promoting the gospel, doing things to get out the gospel message. Whatever it is that we can do, that's what we ought to do. We could go to John 4 and learn some lessons and how to be creative in winning people to Christ. We have to learn to be unconventional sometimes and do things different. But it's for the sake of the gospel. He said the same shall save it. That sounds a little bit like what we talked about last week, didn't it? Unconditional surrender about following him. So he says here uh, that if we want life, we have to give up life. And if we give up life for his sake and the gospels, then we'll have life. And here, listen to these next two verses. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous, sinful generation of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. That's when he comes at the time of the rapture. But verse 36 and verse 37, For what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul. It's so easy to get caught up in savoring the things of the world today that we sometimes don't realize we have exchanged our soul for the things of this world. We've exchanged our life for the things of this world. We've exchanged the abundant life that Jesus came to bring us for just a satisfactory life. You think you're living the good life. But until you give everything and live the Christ life, you don't know what the good life is. Paul said, I've learned to live, in whatsoever state I'm in there with, I've learned to be content. I can live, I can be abased or I can abound. In other words, I can be living at the bottom of the barrel or I can be living on top of the barrel. It doesn't matter, I'm happy either way. Most people never get there. They want to be on top of the barrel. 
they've never learned to live at the bottom of the barrel. But I'm telling you, when you learn to live at the bottom of the barrel, every day you'll be happy. Because it won't matter where you are. It won't matter, hey, if your stocks take a hit and you lose a half a million next week, it won't matter. If you got a half a million you can lose next week in the stock market, see me after church. I need some cheeseburger money. But you understand what I'm saying? It won't matter. If you have a lot and you lose it, if you're living for Christ, it won't matter. The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Isn't that what Job said? So he says here, if we gain the whole world, let me give you this thing, this definition of the world. It, the Bible gives it to us in 1 John 2, 15 to 17. When John writes, he says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. That's the definition of the world. It's not this big ball we live on called earth. It's not the cosmos. It's the, it's the world system. All right? That's what makes it up. So you got three components that make up the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. Here's how they break down in, in a simple form. The lust of the flesh is this. that Anything that I could ever do. Anything that, that you could ever imagine that you could do. Maybe you want to go climb Mount Everest. Maybe you want to get on a sailboat and sail the Caribbean. Maybe you would like to, you know, catch a train and ride the train all the way across America, out west. Whatever it is, something you can see that you would want to do, just physically do. That's your flesh, a fleshly desire to do something. And then there's the lust of the eye. That's anything that you could see that you could ever want to have. Your neighbor's wife, the guy down the street that just got a new Jaguar. I mean, you know, that new dress that the woman across the church from you got that costs $800 and you can't afford one at Walmart. Yeah, anything that you can see that you could covet, that you could lust after and want. Not talking about an activity to do, but an object to have. The lust of the eye. Do you understand the difference? The lust of the flesh, anything that I could ever want to do. The lust of the eye, anything that I could ever want to have. And then there's the pride of life, anything that I could ever want to be. I want to be somebody. I want to be this or I want to be that. I want to be like so-and-so. I want to be one of these. I want to be one of those. Remember as a, as a young teenager, preacher boy growing up and talking to preachers and on more than one occasion preachers would tell me you know like I say as a teen growing up started preaching when I was 14 so I had a lot of years there to be a preaching teenager and preachers would tell me and say son if you can do anything else then you better do it because it's not in you this is the only thing I can do I can work a job. I can do other stuff. I can be bivocational. I can make a living. But that's not what God put in me to do. God put this in me to do. He called me to preach the word of God. That's what he put in me. So it's anything you ever see you want to be. I didn't see a preacher one day and want to be a preacher. My daddy was a preacher and he quit on God and walked out on the home, left me and my mom and my sister and never turned around and came back till I was grown and gone. So preaching wasn't high up on my priority list according to men. I never saw ball players and thought, well, I want to be one of them one day. Never wanted to be a star. I loved racing growing up. My grandfather loved racing. Never wanted to be a superstar race car driver. Never wanted to be anything like that. But you understand what I'm, the pride of life is what we want to be. And that's focusing on who? Self, isn't it? 
And we're not to focus on self, are we? We're to focus on Jesus first and others second. Self don't really get a place. Third place. That's the last place on the platform. So if you want to be, be like Christ and love others. Then you'll still have a place on the platform because you'll be third. You see, there's the lust of the flesh, anything I ever want to do. The lust of the eye, anything I ever want to have. And the pride of life, anything that I could ever want to be. That's the world. He said, we can gain the whole world and lose our own soul. So many people are driven by those three things today. Those three things run a constant theme through the scriptures. If you turn back to Matthew chapter 4, you'll find those same three things. That's the temptation. You remember where uh, Satan Christ went out into the wilderness uh, and Satan came and he tempted him? He offered him those same three things. You go back and read it. It'll tell you. Three things that he offered him these same three categories. But if you turn all the way back to the beginning, you and I are really no different than Adam and Eve. Turn to Genesis chapter number 3. Genesis chapter number 3. Genesis chapter 3 tells us about Satan entering the picture. says that he was more subtle than any beast of the field in verse 1. And he began with Eve by questioning the word of God. He questioned the validity of the word of God. Let, let me interject a little note right here. We'll, we'll take a time out. I'm not chasing a rabbit, I'm taking a time out. There's lots of debate about the version of the Bible. Which version this and which version that? Let me, let, me, let me just say this to you. I use the King James Bible. That's, that's, what, I, that's what I know. I, I, that's what I believe in my heart that God gave to the English-speaking people 400 years ago. We've not changed one We've not changed one piece of literature that came from that same time frame in the public school system. You still read Macbeth, Shakespeare, all of those. You still read all of that in 1600 Elizabethan English. So don't come at me with, preacher, I can't understand the these and the thous. You had to learn that mess to get out of school with a C on your report card. It's personal preference. But here, here's what I want you to understand. When I, when I said this about Satan questioning the word of God, do you realize if you don't have a King James Bible that every one of the Bibles that's represented in this auditorium this morning has a copyright in the front of it? It's copyrighted. King James Bible don't have a copyright in it. Every time that you change something that's copywritten, you have to change a certain percentage of it. You have to change the, the overall meaning of what it says for you to get a new copyright on it. Y'all see where I'm going with this? How many times can you change it before it's not even what it was set out to be? That's why it's lasted for over 400 years. It is the word of God for the English speaking people. Well I understand mine better. Well Eve thought she understood what Satan was saying better too. Because he said it in a little different way. But it was just different enough to confuse them. It was just different enough to lead them astray. It was just different enough to cause them to not gain the world but to lose their own soul. Let's see what happens after he questions God. Did God say, and the woman said in verse 2, unto the serpent, 
We may eat of the fruit of the tree of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as God's knowing good and evil. I think that's probably the only time in the Bible that Satan actually told the truth. God did know that when they ate, their eyes would be opened. And he didn't want their eyes to be opened. He was their protection. He was all they needed. He was the divine creator. And he was the one that made the rules. Do you understand that? We don't get to make up the rules. We don't get to do it the way we want to do it. God said don't and we don't need a reason. I, I, I love my children but you know when they were growing up uh, they would say why. I said it don't matter why. Because I said. And then as they get older and they begin to learn things and they can really understand things and think for themselves, which usually happens around the time they become a teenager. They start being, they say that the brain can begin to reason around the age of 11 or 12 years old. You ever wonder why kids start rebelling as teenagers? Because they can reason in their own mind that what you're telling them to do and what you're doing and how you live is not the same. And they begin to rebel against your hypocrisy. Because they can reason. God didn't want that. God wanted them to just believe him and by faith trust him. He didn't want them to know everything there was to know. But Satan convinced them, well you need to be just like God. Why? Because that was his problem. He wanted to be just like God. That's what got him kicked out of the heavenlies. Because he wanted to be just like God. Look at the rest of the narrative here. He said, And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die, for God know that in, every, that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was, listen, she saw her eyes. She saw that the tree was, number one, good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise. The lust of the flesh was good for food. The lust of the eye, it was pleasant to the eyes. And the pride of life, a tree to be desired to make one wise. Pride. I can be like God. I can be smart like God. Same three things that the devil offered God. I mean offered Christ there at the temptation in the wilderness. Same three things make up the world that Jesus said, what shall it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? I'm telling you, that's where it all went wrong. Right there in the garden with just one bite. Satan offered him the world. What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? At that time, Adam and Eve had a living, eternal, holy, perfect soul. And when they partook of the fruit, they became dead. That soul died. And you and I inherited that same sin nature. And we were born with a dead soul. Dead and on its way to hell. We grow up in life and sometimes we're fortunate and we hear the gospel and the Spirit of God speaks to our heart and we get saved. Sometimes the devil comes along and he knows that he can't get us lost again because once you've accepted God's gift of salvation, he never takes it back. It's yours forever. Satan knows he cannot get our soul so he wants to do everything he can to just destroy our life, 
or to water down our life or to make our life in a way that it's not effective in doing what? What was the thing, two things that Christ said were to follow him for his sake and the sake of the gospel? So he'll try to get our life so watered down that we're ineffective for his cause or for the gospel. And how does he do that? He offers us the things of the world. And we trade the things of the world for our soul. What do we give in exchange for our soul? The love of a sports team, the excitement of a friendship, the possibility of maybe having a, 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 a man or a woman on the side we think nobody will ever find out about. I mean, what, what is it that we will exchange for our eternal soul? Once you're saved, you're not going to lose that. But I'm going to tell you, when you dabble in the things of the world, the Bible says in 1 Peter, you'll vex your soul. Just like Lot did. And you'll be ineffective and you'll live a miserable life. I'm here to tell you this morning, Jesus loves you and he doesn't want you to live a miserable life. He doesn't want you to be duped by the devil. He doesn't want you to fall for his trickery. He doesn't want you to fall for his lies. He doesn't want you to exchange the eternal soul that he died to bring back to life. He doesn't want you to give that up. And if you've never experienced that, that new birth, that being born again that John talks about in chapter 3, if you've never experienced that, that's what you need today more than anything in this world. That's what it's all about. And preacher, that don't make a lot of sense. Paul wrote it this way to the church at Ephesus. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin. We're born dead. And the Spirit of God comes along. And he gives us the ability to come alive. To accept the gift of salvation. And he breathes life back into that dead soul. That's what he does. Maybe you're here today and God's speaking to your heart. He's talking to you about your eternity. You were born dead and on your way to hell. It's not, it's not anything you did. You can't drink enough alcohol, smoke enough cigarettes, or, or chase enough sin and wickedness to get yourself on the way to hell. You were born that way. You're born that way. But God loves you enough that he had a plan for his son to come and die for my sins and for your sins. And he looked ahead in time and he saw you and he knew that there would be a day that you'd realize that you needed him. He knew there'd be a day that would come in your life when the spirit would speak to your heart and say, I need what it is that he's talking about. Today might be that day that the Spirit of God has quickened you and He wants to make you alive. He's opening up a door of opportunity for you to have the free gift of salvation today. You don't do anything to earn it. There's nothing you can do to make Him love you more or make Him love you less. He just wants to give you the gift. It's that simple. Well, preacher, what do I do to have that gift? The Bible says we just believe him by faith. Believe what? That he lived, that he died, that he rose again the third day and that he's seated at the right hand of God the Father and he's right there wanting to be your father, wanting to give you that free gift of salvation. Well, how do I do that? Just acknowledge the fact that you're a sinner and you need a savior. You do that in your heart. The Bible says, With the heart man believeth, and with the mouth confession is made unto righteousness. You just trust that truth of God's word in your heart that Jesus paid it all. And when you trust that truth in your heart, then you know what? Your mouth will tell him, God, I know I'm a sinner. God, I know I need a Savior. 
you save me today? And it's already done. It's done. All we have to do is just simply acknowledge it. Just acknowledge it. He paid the price. All you have to do is accept the gift. And he'll give you something that I can't explain. Every day I live, I can't explain it. For almost 50 years, I've been his child. It just gets sweeter every day. It doesn't mean life gets easier every day. I think it gets harder every day. But the journey is sure getting sweeter as the days go by. You can have that. You can have that same joy. You can have that same peace in your heart. What, what, are, what are you exchanging for your soul? Christian, you're here today and God spoke to your heart. This church needs a revival. This church needs more than a pastor. This church needs Jesus. It needs Jesus to walk up and down these pews and touch your heart and set you on fire for Him again. It's never going to be what you want it to be until you become who He wants you to be because it's just made up of individuals. Just one here, one here, one here, one, one, one. And when God's people get right with Him, life is different. I wanted to preach out of 2 Chronicles today in Acts chapter 3 about times of refreshing and revival but God wouldn't let me he said this is what you preach so maybe even as a Christian you're here today and you've got sucked into the vacuum of the world the old things of the flesh got their claws on you they're keeping you from being the salt and light you need to be you got things in your life that other people see that are turning them away from Christ They'll not become a Christian because of the things that they see and they know in your life that you try to hide outside of this building that you think nobody knows about. Those things are causing people to not come to Christ. They're causing you not to have the fullness of the blessing of God in your own life. What are you giving in exchange for your soul today? What part of the world has got its grip on you today? that you just need to turn over to Jesus. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed as she plays this morning, Christian, you ought to lead the way today. You ought to be the first one to come and offer yourself back to the Lord on the altar today. (laughs) Say, God, there's places I could be better in. I've got room to improve in my walk and in my life. Would you help me? There's probably some here this morning that are lost. And you need to accept that free gift that God offers you today. While these Christians are in the altar praying, would you let somebody pray with you about your eternal soul and your salvation? Nobody's looking. Everybody's head's bowed, their eyes are closed. I'm the only one looking. If you're lost, God spoke to your heart this morning. We don't want to embarrass you. We'll not call you out. We'll not come to you or send anybody to you. But I want to pray for you. If you just raise your hand up and write back down and say, Preacher, would you pray for me? God spoke to my heart. I know I'm lost. I know I need Jesus to be my Savior. I just want to pray for you. Anybody like that anywhere in the building, just right up and right back down. I'll not come to you, call you out. Preacher, I'm saved today. I'm on my way to heaven. But the devil's used some things of the world to get a grip on me. 
And there's, there's areas, there's places in my life I could improve in. I could be better. I know I need revival in certain things. Would you pray for me? Anybody like that this morning? Anywhere in the building? Just raise your hand. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. As she plays, we're going to thank you. We're going to wait just a moment. In case anybody else wants to come join these that are already here. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. Thank you, God, for the opportunity to gather together as your people. Lord, this morning, we just want you to know that we love you. We're so thankful that you loved us first. Sent your son to die for us, to pay the price for our sins. God, help us to take what we've learned in your word this morning and use it in a way, God, that it'll be it'll be encouraging to us and help us to draw closer to you and live stronger in our faith. And God, look out for the wiles of the devil and see how easy it is for him to get his claw in us, for him to hook us and to pull us away from you, cause us to get caught up in things of this world and not be focused on you and the future and the world to come and be sharing the gospel with people, Lord, and be doing things that are gospel sensitive so that people might come to Christ. Help us to invest our lives in the cause of Christ, in the word and the ministry of the gospel, Lord, so that others can be saved. Lord, we thank you for these that are here today. I pray that you'll just bless them and strengthen and encourage them, Lord. I pray, God, still, if there's someone here that's lost today that doesn't know you, the Holy Spirit would continue to plead with them and work with them, God, that you wouldn't just turn them away, but, God, you'd give them a space of time where they could come to that saving grace is found in Jesus Christ. Keep us safe as we go home. Be your will. I pray that you'll bring us back safe this evening to worship you one more time, Lord, before we come home to eternity to be with you. We love you and we thank you and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, don't get up and leave yet. Miss Tina.